You have to stay on top of trends. Today's leaders always need to be learning. In this environment of limited resources, the only way to remain competitive is your ability to leverage your most important resource. Welcome to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. In this program, we'll dive into leadership fundamentals that are essential to your success. Now, here's your host, Tom Crea. Good Monday morning. You're listening to Your Evolving Leadership Journey with your host, Tom Crea. Last week, we had the privilege of speaking with Ann Barr-Thompson, the author of Do Good. And today, we're going to be speaking with Ken Gosnell, who is the soon-to-be author of a book called Well Done to be coming out in early 2020. And if you haven't picked up, there's a theme here of different people who are talking about things that are important to servant leaders. So this show is for any leader who believes in continuous learning. And like you, my journey continues I met Ken just this year, 2019, and he has already helped me along the way. So, for full disclosure, Ken and I are going to be working together, and I'm honored to have that privilege to be working with him. So, before we get rolling today, you'll find everything related to this show at the website, YourEvolvingLeadershipJourney.com. Again, that's YourEvolvingLeadershipJourney.com. You can check out the schedule of who's next, catch up any of the past episodes you might have missed, and you can continue the discussion with like-minded individuals in our LinkedIn group if you choose. So if you have any questions, our call-in number is 866-472-5790. Again, that's 866-472-5790. So let's meet Ken. Well, Ken, welcome and thank you very much for being a part of our program today. Hey, thank you, Tom. I'm honored to be here and I appreciate the work that you do around servant leadership. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate that as well. Now, look, um, I always start by asking the guests, why did you write the book? And in your particular case, uh, from the description, you wrote the words, well done. And you get into, in your introduction, you talk about the influence of your father. I'd love it if you would share with the audience how your father impacted you and why you wrote this book. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, you know, one of the early leadership stories that I talk about personally is, a situation that I had with my father. Um, I was about 10 years old and I paid attention. He was, um, we grew up in the, I grew up in the Midwest and my dad was a hard and diligent worker. He um, had overcome a lot of addictions in his life and started to work for a company uh, as um, a clay refine in the clay refining business. And I always saw my dad take two things to work every day. One was his hard hat and the other was his Bible. And I understood the hard hat piece that obviously the, the work that he would go to was hard and was dangerous and that was a piece of his equipment that was essential he didn't want something falling on his head but I didn't I, I saw him take his bible to church but I wasn't sure why he was taking his bible to work and so one day I asked him I said dad why do you take your bible to work and he said well son I like to read it during my breaks because it helps me to be a better person and uh, you know that that story and that situation has probably shaped much of my life. I believe in those two things. I think if you would narrow my life down to, to two essential ingredients, it would be a hard hat, which is, tells us the importance of work and how, how work is um, a part of everything that we do almost every day. And how we work defines a lot about who we are. And the Bible, of course, tells us how to work. And my dad found great inspiration and encouragement through the words of the Bible. Uh, And I have through the years as well. So when I went to write a leadership book, um, and I've been in a lot of leadership circles, I've 
learn from the best. I, I've been around John Maxwell and been part of the John Maxwell team. I've been part of the Dale Carnegie organization who, you know, Dale Carnegie wrote the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, still one of the best-selling business book a uh, hundred years later after it's Absolutely. been um, But, you know, one of the things that I thought was essential is both in, in, in those cases and many other leadership cases, uh, those authors reference or teach biblical business principles, but they never really state what those biblical bis business principles are. And I've had a passion in my life, and almost every Christian leader that I've met has that same passion, and that is we're very familiar with the parable of the talents where the master comes back and he says to the servants, to the servants, well done, good and faithful servant. And I've wanted to de define and understand for myself, and then hence the book, for other leaders, other CEOs and business owners, how do we define well done from a business perspective? What does it look like to read a, lead a well done company and to be a well done CEO and Christian business leader? And that's really what we discuss in the book was we look at these, what I call 12 biblical business principles that lead us to well done, which will grow our company and our kingdom impact. Well, that's a, it's a lot of information right there. And I just want to recap for the audience, if you don't mind, you know, you when you talk about inspiration and, you know, if anything's going to set the bar for anybody who is self-driven, it's going to be a higher purpose, a higher calling. And of course, our divine maker is no, no higher than that. You, when you mentioned the comment about the authors who, who essentially they talk about the biblical principles, but they don't act directly write about them. I found that to be true myself and I could share with you in my experience with the Ken Blanchard and like you said, Maxwell, you know, Norman Vincent Peale, Dale Carnegie, the list goes on and on. It went on and on for the, from the 1900s. It continues today with people even like Adam Grant and um, Bob Rosen, just different people. Yeah, exactly. So, so now and Ken talked about the parable of the talents and that really is the, the centerpiece of his book. And I will share with you that he's got 12 chapters four biblical principles, and there are three parts. There's the proclamations of Jesus, parables of Jesus, Jesus, and practices of Jesus. And they each have four chapters in them. Go figure. Now, one of the things that has impressed me and why I enjoy being around Ken so much is, um, I'm going to share this with the part of your biography. Of course, if you want to read his biography, go online. You can read it, the description. But this is what you're not going to find. Ken has got a master's in divinity. And one of the things that he has taught me is just the, the source of where – um, the background of these stories, and he's going to give you some context in the first question, but uh, I just want to ask you a different question first. So you've got 12 chapters, four chapters in each section. Um, what, what do numbers mean to you? Did you choose those numbers intentionally? And what does the Bible tell us about those different numbers? No, I, don't, I didn't really choose those numbers uh, intentionally. What I wanted to do was I studied the entire Bible from cover to cover. It took me, uh, I say a year and a half in the book. It was really more like a three-year journey, uh, but three, a year and a half of intense focus. And I looked at every biblical reference, every biblical business reference in the Bible. Anything that could be referenced to business, whether it's the book of Nehemiah to um, building the ark in the Old Testament with Mo uh, Noah and Moses, how he led and delegated and so on and so forth. But when I ended up looking uh, at the gospel accounts and specifically with Jesus, what I found was that um, Matthew specifically really illustrated and I thought articulated these principles with great clarity. And that shouldn't surprise us to some degree because Matthew is a tax collector. He's a business guy. Uh, so that makes sense from a business perspective that he would write 
with a lens of telling these different applications related to business. And you so, know, I'll tell you, I tell I, you and not to interrupt you, Ken, but right there, that's not that's something I didn't really ever think about before. Is yeah, you know, he's a tax collector, a business person. But I'm sorry, continue, please. <laughs> so when I looked, so I, I narrowed it down to really twelve. What I thought was thought out principles. And as I looked at those 12 principles and I, cause I, you know, and I would have gone to 13 or 14 or whatever I thought it was, but I really got to that 12. And then I started to look at how did Matthew describe these principles? Mm-hmm. And what I found was it just naturally kind of broke up. There were four, what I call proclamations or statements that Jesus made mm-hmm. things like uh, go the second mile or the golden rule. Those were statements that he said with his disciples and they were teaching moments, if you will. And then there were four parables primarily that Jesus talked that really relate to business, a business perspective. So it's like the parable of the talents or the parable of the sower. And then I found that there were also what I call four practices of Jesus, that there were things that Jesus did throughout his ministry. And there's still statements that are related around it or Bible verses that tie to it. So one of the practices would have been, to build your organization, build your team, right? And the very first thing that Jesus did was he pulled his disciples together. He knew that he needed to be bigger than himself, and which is an important message for every entrepreneur to hear because a lot of times we like to stay by ourselves or we think I'm going to go build this business. And, and yet what Jesus teaches us and Matthew uh, illustrates is that um, we need a team in order to be successful, and we know that our organization is only going to be successful as the team that we have. So really kind of these uh, four different quadrants or the four different aspects of each of the principles really kind of naturally just organically came about. Okay. Well, look, um, so one of the things Ken talked about is, is – um these proclamations, which we're going to get into right now. But before we do, I just want to share with you that um, his content is typically directed towards uh, entrepreneurs. Now, that applies, he's going to apply this lesson, not just to entrepreneurs, his his target audience, but also to any leader out there. And this this is so much for servant leaders, or what we're going to talk about soon, as well as steward leaders, that I've uh, carved out a second show for this because there's just too much to talk about. So with that said, let's get moving and I'm going to get into your, if the first of your four proclamations. And, and this is where I know that you're going to be able to share with the listeners um, some of this background and context. Um, chapter one is we talk about the second mile mentality. And in the quote from Matthew five, verse, chapter five, verse 41 is, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles, two miles, excuse me. Now you said, in your book, that Jesus was talking to slaves. Could you explain what you mean there? Slaves and people who had been forced to go the first mile. Right. You mentioned my divinity degree. So I have a, a double master's. I have a master's in business and a master's uh, in divinity. And it speaks to this duality that I've had throughout my life and many business leaders have, right? And so I thought, well, I wanted to go get my business degree. But, um, but because the Bible was so core, and I, I'm in the business world, but since the Bible was so core to who I am and what I believe, I thought, well, since I'm here, I might as well go ahead and get a a divinity degree. What I didn't know at the time was the divinity degree is actually three times longer than the business degree. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, but it's, but it's well worth it. It's well worth it. So one of the things though, that, uh, that I've learned and that they teach us, and it's important is to look at context. Why did, why is that passage being written? What is the whole contextual aspect of, um, who's, who's talking to who and what is it meant for? And is that 
something that was meant for that time versus is it trans, uh, um, does it work in any time? Is it, does it translate into any situation? So in that, in that statement that Jesus made about the second mile, he was primarily, he was specifically talking to, to slaves and to uh, individuals where the Romans would come in and they, according to their law, they had the right to ask people to carry their, their backpacks, their equipment for a mile. That was mm-hmm. under the, the law at that particular mm-hmm. time. And if you didn't do it, then you would be uh, punished just like any, just like wearing our seatbelt today or, or any particular law that's going on in our culture. And so what's interesting about the statement that Jesus makes is the fact that he's basically communicating that they are forced to go one mile. That's, that's a requirement. There's, there's nothing magical about that, right or wrong or indifferent. That's the law of the land of that mm-hmm. particular day. But he's, he's telling the slaves, don't have a slave mentality, have a servant mentality. And he's basically communicating that here's a secret to life that if somebody goes, you know, go take that second step, go a little bit further, do more than, what, than what's anticipated or expected. And what's interesting as it relates to business. So another aspect uh, that I talk a little bit about in the book is I not only looked at the Bible and understood these biblical principles, but then I looked at successful businesses over a couple hundred year span. So I wanted to look at companies like JCPenney, who was the largest retail um, company organization in the world that's ever graced uh, the world. I wanted to look at companies like Amazon or Zappos or, or um, Chick-fil-A, and not only just Christian companies, but companies that the world would see as very successful. And what I found was very interesting is that all of those companies that had ultra success, super success, if you will, Mm-hmm. that they practice these principles, whether they understand that they're biblical business principles or not. So one example of that is the second step mentality. Amazon, who I would say is not a Christian company, Jeff Bezos is not a Christian CEO or business owner, very smart guy, would love for him to become a Christian, would love for the opportunity to talk to him about Christianity, because I think we could talk about the biblical business principles. But he will tell you, and you can read his newsletters, and you can read this to shareholders, and you can talk, uh, listen to the people in his company. My son actually works for Amazon. Um, and he believes in always going the second step, doing more for the customer that, than what's anticipated or expected. So for example, one example, and I don't even talk about this in the book, but one example of that is the whole delivery process for Amazon. You know, Jeff Bezos, when he created Amazon, is really a bookstore. Um, but he, his whole philosophy is how do we get that faster, quicker, better to the customer? And so that's where Amazon Prime has come in. That's where delivery. And even today, he's innovating to use drones and robots and different things because he wants you to be able to order something on Amazon and within an hour, have it delivered to your house. He's building distribution centers all the way. So this one biblical business principle has shaped everything that's going on at Amazon because he wants to do more than expect. He wants to go a little bit further, or as I like to call it, he likes to take the second step. He, he goes further in, in more detail. Okay, great. Well, look, you end every chapter with uh, what you do in your work as well. You have these win activities. And again, you're targeting mostly uh, business owners, and you ask questions in there. Um, what's, your, what, what's a win activity? If you would, explain what a win activity is. And if you would, ask the audience a rhetorical question for them to think about after they've listened to this. What could they do to become a better leader as a servant leader, steward leader? Um, go ahead. Sure. I, I, so one of the things that was really critical for me and that I've experienced in my own life is leadership is tough. 
right? Um, many are people are gifted and they have great talents and they have great vision and great influence. I mean, there's so many great things about leaders, which you and I love and we resonate with. But the bottom line is leadership is difficult. Whatever <laughs> you take, whether it's you're trying to run a process or a program or developing a product or whether you're trying to lead people, uh, it can be very tiring. It can be exhausting. And often leaders look at everything that isn't working and they're, they're trying to fix it. Mm-hmm. And again, one of the things that I thought was really critical is to not only look at what, you know, and we need to be aware of those things. You and I have talked a lot about and wrote an article around blind spots and for leaders and weaknesses and so on and so forth. But I also want to push leaders to think about what, what is working and how do I make this work in a positive way? Um, can I go get a win today? Can I go get something positive, a victory, so that I can start? Because I believe in the power of momentum. I believe in the power of moving and the power of direction. And if I can start moving the ball, if I can start mo- building that momentum, and I think that ha- needs to happen for every leader. And so one of the ways that I do that is I call win activities. As I read something or as I do something, I'm thinking about how do I make this a win? How do I make this positive? How do I start momentum? momentum in my life and my leadership. And so uh, in the book, um, I, I give an uh, activity, basically, is what I call win activity. Um, it's, an, it's usually a, a thought process, and, and it's a way to build that momentum into your daily structure, your weekly structure, or so on and so forth. So win activity around the second step principle for any leader today might be, you know, we could take a home example. If you're married uh, and you're a leader in your home, what, what could you do to your wife uh, tonight or this week that she's not expecting or anticipating where you took a second step? Can you think of three or four things that you might be able to do? So maybe one of those is to take the kids to school when you don't normally do that. Or maybe you're going to come home and fix dinner tonight. Or maybe you'll do the dishes uh, tonight when she's not expecting it. Uh, some, something along those lines. Maybe you'll watch a TV show that she's not, you know, that she like, you know, one of these girly shows that, you know, uh, that they like more than we like necessarily, right? But those would all be wins because it's a second step. And it begins to, for the leader, wherever you're at in the organization, it begins to build that, uh, that momentum. So I love win activities. They're all throughout the book uh, with experience questions. We do uh, produce, a CEO Experience does produce a, a monthly journal for CEOs and business owners or leaders. I call it an executive guide. And it's focused on one of the biblical business principles with some business application. And in that journal, which is usually about 50 pages in length, every it's a month, it's like a magazine, but it's a journal for leaders. We have multiple win activities that I want the, the leader to think about as it relates to that particular topic. So we've included that in the book as well. And I think that's actually one of the fun parts of our book, maybe makes it a little bit different. Most books may give you a question to think about, but we actually want you to help uh, start changing your leadership by building that momentum for you. Well, that's great. Thanks a lot. Now, look, I'm going to kind of capture what you just said there. You talked about the power of momentum, moving the ball. In my mind, I I like metaphors, so I'm thinking of a snowball. You got to get started with some successes, and you got to get that ball rolling, and it'll get bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, one of the other things I would like you to talk about is um, not only does Ken work with business owners and CEOs, he's got another program uh, targeted for the next level leaders. You want to share a little bit about that, please? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the principles that I mentioned earlier is that um, uh, I call it principle number 10, when, uh, to improve, improve your team to improve your organization. And one of the practices that Jesus had was he brought a team around him. So 
I believe that uh, leaders who know that they're critical part of a critical part of their success is the team that they develop. And so every month in our executive journal, and we also have a program that's called the Next Level Leader. And it's designed for any leaders that you have in your influence. So it could be a vice, if you're the CEO, it could be a vice president, or uh, it could be your key salesperson, or even maybe your administrative assistant. Really, it's not really about who they are, or what they said. It's the fact that they're in relationship to the leader and you're wanting to grow them. And so um, in the journal, we give a dedicated few pages every month that is designed for the next level leader. Um, where it talks about, again, real business application out of that particular principle. Uh, the, it's not always, that always uh, spiritual content because not everybody that you have on your team is not necessarily a Christian. So it, we do reference the biblical business principles, but we're trying to be also sensitive, not necessarily to, to um, we don't shy away from it, but we don't necessarily force it down people's throats. The same way with our Next Level Leader program, we actually come on site um, where we work with CEOs and companies where they might bring three, five, 10, 15, just depends on the size of the company. And once a month, we do a deeper dive anywhere from 90 minutes to a full day where we can work with next level leaders to help them think like a business owner. Really, I'm wanting them to think like the owner thinks. Uh, and that way the owner, owner develops the team, but then it infiltrates all the way down through the business. And we've seen great transformation. I mean, it's, it's been amazing to see what happens when a leader and their executive team gets together and they have these authentic conversations. And it's much like what Jesus did with his disciples, right? I mean, Jesus would pull his disciples away. They'd have deep conversations about spiritual things, life things, uh, business things, all these different things that were going on in their world. And those were the moments, the breakthrough that Jesus had, I believe, with his disciples. And so leaders too often, we try to lead alone. We go on one way and we send our people someplace else. But it's really these moments that we have together that, that make a, a big difference. And so we think that this is really a critical aspect of uh, being, becoming a great leader is really also developing your team. But if, if nothing else, we like you to use the executive journal to go through it with your team um, and we think that that is advantageous in itself, but we love our next level leader program. Great. Well, look, that, you know, one of the great things that attracted me was exactly that. And, and as you talk about in your book, well done, uh, we'll get to that before we close today's session. I promise the listeners, um, I don't want to hear those words well done at the end of the rainbow and you know being able to attach and tether what you're doing to a biblical principle has great value and can be a source of inspiration especially if you're the leader and you have to be the one who's self-driven so he applies these principles um the other thing that i like about ken and his program so much is that the openness and it's not just for christian leaders it's for faith-driven leaders so as we segue into his chapter two i want to read a quote from a guest i had previously and this is from charles Coatser in we had him as a guest in September, and in his book, he writes, companies that did business from a foundation of love and purpose and practice servant leadership produced a 1,026% return to shareholders over a 10-year period, eight times more than good to great companies. So on that note, let's go into chapter two, where you talk about the golden rule in Matthew 7, chapter 7, verse 12. So in everything, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. This is probably more known than any of your other chapters, so I won't ask you much about it, but go ahead and comment as you would like, uh, and then we'll have to probably close out our first half of this segment. Go ahead. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the golden rule, uh, of course, uh, is an essential principle. It's well known. But although I will say that I think it's less well known today than it ever probably has been, especially in our culture. Uh, when I worked with some CEOs this past year on the golden rule, I challenged them to ask their teams, have they ever heard of the golden rule? And you would be amazed. There were about 70% of wow. the uh, team members and companies we had a big pool that didn't understand. They, when you started to unpack it, they, um, they would uh, be able to under, relate to it a little bit, but they didn't know what the golden rule was. If, they, if you went and asked them, what's the golden rule? And the golden rule is very simply that um, you want to treat other people like you want to be treated. And so there's, it speaks a lot of, to customer service. How do I treat other people today? Am I thinking about where they're coming from? Am I putting myself in their mindset? Um, I think every great company has practiced the golden rule. So you take a Chick-fil-A, for example, or I write about in the book, J.C. Penney built his company really in his first store was called the golden rule store because he wanted people to understand as they came in and he started in 1912 as uh, they come into his store. They, he wanted them to know that I'm not just trying to sell you a product. I'm trying to get to know you as a person and I'm trying to understand what it is that you're trying to, that you want. And I'm going to treat you with respect and care. And boy, I think we need that in our, our culture today with companies having that attitude of it's not just I'm selling a product or I'm doing something. I really care about this individual and I'm trying to understand or listen to their needs so that I know how to serve them better. I just think that this golden rule principle is often being taken for granted and overlooked. And I think we do so at our own peril today. We've got to be careful as a company and as a business owner to make sure that we do it. So, I mean, even something like a Southwest company, uh, and I write about a story, a personal story, where I was at my mother's first flight after my father passed, where, you know, Southwest practiced this concept of the golden rule. They really, they came to know that this was my mother's first flight in her 70s. They came to know that my, her, her husband, my father, after 50 years of marriage, just passed away. And they really treated her with such love and such care that it really is a story that we still talk about uh, today, years later, because of this one interaction or experience that they had with their company. Yeah, I remember. Sorry, I reading, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I remember no, I just, reading that story in the book, and uh, and certainly Southwest, uh, they've got a number of great stories, and there's a great book called Nuts uh, by Jackie Freiberg. I forgot her cousin, husband's name; it might be Kevin. But um, I wanted to share this with the audience. I'm looking on LinkedIn this morning, as I typically do, and I and, and if you're listening, I believe this woman is from Turkey, and her name, if I can pronounce it correctly, is her first name is Nestle. It's N e s h l y l i, and she always has these great posts that are moving and inspirational. In this particular post, I want to share with you, the listeners, is there's a video of a, a gentleman who's on the ground. He's sitting down and he's get, he's a shoe shiner. And the um, one person walks up to get his shoes shined and, and he just puts his foot on the, uh, the bar or whatever. And then you, you see the next is a little girl and she gives she takes off her shoe and gives it to him. And this gentleman on the ground smiles. And then this other man sees that and recognizes that that perhaps wasn't the best way to treat him and decides to take off his shoes and treat him the way the little girl did. And so it was a very fantastic and moving video. And the number of look likes and, and shares on that was incredible. But she has fantastic posts every day. Nesley, I hope you're listening. And if I pronounced your name incorrectly, please tell me how to pronounce it. Uh, and he flanked in me. All right, look. This has been fun so far. We've covered the first two chapters in his book, and we've been talking with Ken Gosnell, the author of the 
soon to be coming out book, Well Done. And with that said, we're going to take our first our break and we'll come back shortly. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. As Tom works with leaders, something he consistently sees is their struggle with engagement and retention. Then their frustration with having to repeat the employee development process again and again. What most people don't know is the answer lies in love. Once they realize that they simply need to apply the golden rule, the results are surprising. They start bringing out the best in others. They develop confident, capable employees, and they find they have more fun and freedom and less stress in their lives. Perhaps most importantly, they satisfy what they've been craving. Now they've created the culture that they and their team have always wanted. This is when Synergy takes over, and the results are astounding. The first step is critical. When you exhibit the self-awareness and humility that shows you need to learn and improve continuously, you set the example and encourage others to follow. To learn more, visit Blackhawk Leadership Development at BlackhawkSpeaks.com. That's BlackhawkSpeaks.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you have questions or comments about the program, you may send an email to tom at blackhawkspeaks.com. Now, back to your evolving leadership journey. Welcome back. Today, we've been talking with Ken Gosnell, the author of the coming book, Well Done, to come out in spring of 2020. And not only is Ken an author of that book, he's a previous author as well, and he writes a lot for various publications online. So I'm sure you probably have seen your, his name. And Ken, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. And if you want to talk about any of the publications you uh, write to, that's fine. But I want to get in, the, or do you want to do that now? Do you, any, do you want to share with the publications that you write to? Just a few of them? Yeah, sure. I, I write for Forbes, and which I'm honored to do so in the business as. Uh, sections of them. I write for um, uh, business.com, which is a nice, uh, has many resources for for leaders and business owners. Uh, uh, So I do encourage you to go uh, check out business.com. I also have a partnership with um, YSF um, Magazine, and YSF stands for Young, Self-Employed, and Fabulous. And uh, so I love that uh, magazine. They do a great job of really talking to leaders and, and entrepreneurs and then I'm guest, I guess post on a lot of different um, magazines and articles um, around from Christian Post to just, I mean, on uh, biblicalleadership.com. So uh, I'm very honored that people want to hear 
uh, some of these leadership principles. And I'm always delighted with uh, partnerships and new partnerships that we're developing at CEO Experience. All right, great. Well, look, uh, for our audience and listeners, uh, if you didn't catch the first half, we've been talking with Ken Gosnell. And so far, he's talked about the first two chapters in his book, and they are regarding the proclamations of Jesus. There are three sections, four chapters in each section. So we're going to move on to chapter three, where he talks about uh, focus on profit with a purpose. And the quote he uses from scripture is from Mark chapter eight, verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? If you want to jump right in, go ahead, Ken. Tell us what that chapter is about. Absolutely. So, you know, in business, and I do talk about this in the book, but profit is important. And it's a matter of fact, essential. I worked with a CEO years ago and asked him what kind of business he was in. And he said, well, I was in the painting business, but the last three years I've been in the nonprofit business because my business hadn't been making any money. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Business owners and leaders often struggle with that. How do we make money and what do we do with those uh, profits? I think you'll see a movement that's happening in our country today, actually, where uh, companies are really focused on what I would call profit with a purpose, that they not only want to be profitable, but they have to have a reason or they're, they're showing how they're committing back to the culture or back to community through their profits. So whether it's Starbucks and some of the work that they're doing uh, through some of the funds that they have or lots of major companies do that. I'm challenging Christian businesses primarily and small businesses to specifically uh, develop their profit with a purpose that they can take a a portion of their profit and they can dedicate it to Christian causes and, um, and help the kingdom uh, grow in that aspect. And I think that not only do you have to have that from a leader's perspective, but it has to really go out through the entire company that they recognize that, hey, what we're doing here isn't just about selling this product or producing this result. It really is about that we have a bigger purpose. And when you do that, I think it motivates your team and also has a great kingdom impact. So this is a really critical chapter and a really critical aspect for business leaders to understand. Yeah, you know, and in in last month, our guest was uh, the author of Do Good, and she had the same type of message, and hers is very much a corporate type of message about corporate social responsibility. Look, there's a quote, there's a line in your chapter that I'd like you to comment on, and um, I'm sure you'll remember it. It says, make it your goal to grow your business, but not at the sacrifice of losing your soul. That's right. I think one of the things that I, and I struggle with it as a business leader and an entrepreneur is where is our focus and what are we about? And what I would say to business leaders and business owners, and any leader, that it's got to be bigger than uh, your business. Your goal has to be bigger than your business. And I've had to remind myself from time to time out of this statement that Jesus made or proclamation that Jesus made that, you know, I could grow my business three or four times or quadruple it, or I could you know, reach high levels of success from the world to world. But if I don't have my priorities right, and if I don't keep Jesus at the center of that, then I could lose my soul. And um, at the end, that's not going to be profitable. Jesus tells a parable in in the uh, story about a a man that had lots of barns, and he was building and had lots of success. And yet that night it was taken away from him. And basically he's communicating this idea of that, you know, you can be profitable, but you can do it at an expense that is really going to be damaging to yourself and to those around you. And I think that that's important for us to understand as leaders. Um, uh, we shouldn't sacrifice our spirituality for profit. We shouldn't sacrifice our families for profit. 
We shouldn't sacrifice um, our own health for profit. So there are some things that are more important than profit as well. And I do worry that Christian CEOs sometimes focus so much on potentially became gaining money that they do so at their own peril. That's great advice. Now, look, uh, just to recap as well, uh, you've been talking a little bit there about focus and purpose and priorities. And you know what? Eventually, it's going to lead us to chapter five, where, where it's the heart of the book about the, the steward leadership in that parable. Um, but let's take the stepping stone that you have next, which is in chapter four. And it's essentially a chapter about clarity. And you use this line from the Matthew's gospel, chapter five, verses 36, 37. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even, you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, before you respond, Ken, you know, so one of the things that, that I find fascinating about working with you is that you're able to, as you said, because of your three years of study, you're able to derive different things from passages that many people are not going to pick up on, or they, they may not initially, but if they put in the time that you did, yeah, I'm sure they would, um, but they didn't put in your time, and there's the difference. So tell us about clarity, yeses and nos, and then we're going to move on to the heart of this uh, message you have for us. Go ahead. Yeah, I think this is one of the most interesting statements that Jesus made, and it really can be life transformational. I, I tell you, I've used this statement personally a lot, and one of the aspects that I work with leaders in our executive coaching realm, because the CEO experience also partners with Christian CEOs um, on a monthly executive coaching model as well, is to help leaders find their yes and no's. Uh, leaders like options. We like to pay attention. We like to know as many things as possible. And we often struggle with decisiveness. And yet one of the most critical aspects of a great leader is a decisive leader knowing our boundaries, knowing where our passions are, what are our yeses and no's, and making sure that our team understands that. I have a simple statement that I use, and I think it's really important. I've had to remind myself of it quite often. I say, when the leader becomes clear, everything in the organization becomes clear. Now, think about that for just a second. When the leader becomes clear, everything in the organization becomes clear. Everybody knows this is what the leader is trying to accomplish. You know, Jeff Bezos again, I want to deliver packages in, 20, uh, in one hour. I mean, that, that's pretty clear. That's a pretty clear statement, right? I mean, I could go on down the list of different companies and organizations. And one uh, issue that plagues a lot of leaders and a lot of uh, business owners is even though they have great passion and great vision, they're just not communicating it clearly. They don't have a clear, clear statements. They don't have clear understanding of this is what it's about. So this statement of yes and no is a really a powerful statement because it helps shape decisions. It helps the leader to come to a, a quick conclusions of should I do this or not? Um, and, and I think every decision needs to be a yes or no. Now it could fall into a couple different categories. It could be yes, but not now. I'm going to, it's definitely a yes, but the timing isn't right. Or it could be um, a no, but I'll consider it later potentially, but it's still that yes or no aspect that we've got to drive to in leaders. And I think that personal accountability, one of the reasons I love at CEO Experience, we have what we call a peer retreat, a CEO retreat every every day. We're going to be launching one in Pittsburgh after the first of the year. We're getting ready to launch one in Philadelphia. We've got several in the Washington, D.C. area and down in Orlando and so on and so forth in Florida. But um, our peers come together and we do it in groups of uh, anywhere up to 15 CEOs. And one of those aspects of reasons they come together is to keep each other accountable to push to clarity. You know, are you saying yes and no as they 
wrestle through issues as they think about how they're applying these biblical business principles in their, in their business. And they encourage each other, but they challenge each other. They learn together. And it really is kind of this disciple model that I think is really critical. But it, that team has to come around for the leader because a lot of times our employees aren't going to keep us pushing to yes or no. Uh, our outside forces aren't going to do that. It's going to have to be a peer that really challenges us to get to that yes or no in our life. Every great leader knows their yes and no's. And I tell leaders, I say, know your no's because your no's make all the difference, right? And so uh, how we unpack that. But I, I, I think that principle is really transformational, yeah. Yeah, the ability to say no is a, is a huge thing. And for me, I always think of time management and what you're going to do. Now, the interesting thing is when you just identified a lead, when a leader is clear, the organization is clear. And I had carved out for you this statement that you wrote, which sometimes, you know, we go to the negative. It's, you know, what motivates us? Is it the pain or the gain? And, and so here, if, if you... If that doesn't resonate, let's listen to this statement he writes. He says, when a leader confuses their yeses and nos, it causes confusion throughout the organization. Essentially, that's what Ken just talked about. So unless you want to comment further, I want to jump to the heart of your book. Any other final comments there? No? Uh, no. Okay. Okay, go okay good. Ahead. All right. So, <laughs> so here we are. So yes and, yes and no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, we're, we're now going to talk about the first the, the second part in his book, which are the four parables of Jesus, and the first chapter is is essentially make the move from owner to overseer. And then this isn't just for, again, for entrepreneurs who own businesses, it's for anybody else who's going to get this idea of stewardship. So let me read to you uh, what you, what you have, are, of course, are familiar with. But there's a paragraph in the book that I want to share with the audience. It said, stewardship is a shift to make decisions based on the ideas and concepts that ever, that one day – Every person will have to give account for all their decisions and actions before the one who truly owns the business. And so Ken starts this chapter off with a quote from Luke chapter 12, verses 20 and 21. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your very life will demand it of you. And now he just he talked about that when he, he talked about this with the, the, the rich man had stored in his barn. So let's get right into where he uses this parable, the parable of the talents. Matthew 10, excuse me, Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. And this is the heart of this chapter, the heart of the book. Um, with that said, tell us about the parable of talents and why your book is called Well Done. Right. So I, so I think this move from what I call owner to oversee is really cr critical. And, and quite honestly, I'm writing towards business owners. But, you know, even as a leader, sometimes we think we own something, right? It's that we're in charge of it. It's, it's totally under... Um, you know, our authority to make decisions right or wrong or indifferent. And um, although ownership isn't, isn't a bad thing, we, matter of fact, I want uh, next level leaders or people to develop an ownership mentality. I want them to, to own a principle or own the idea. I still think that we have to practice. Uh, and I, I think steward leadership is bigger than servant leadership. So I, I love Ken Blanchard. I understand the whole servant leadership model. Obviously it comes out of the Bible with Jesus serving his disciples. But the whole idea of stewardship reminds us that servant leadership is how we serve. Steward leadership is how we look at the whole mentality of our service. And so the reality is every one of us is going to have to give an account at some point. Every one of us is going to leave. Whatever it is that we've built, whatever. I mean, I used to work for large organizations, large companies. I ran lots of projects. I ran lots of people. And today, none of them are under my care. I'm in a totally different place, and they're in a totally different place. And so how I stewarded them at that time was really critical. And stewardship speaks that I don't own it, that I'm, I'm just taking care of it for a period of time, like in the parable of the talents, 
where two did well and one didn't. He didn't steward it well. And I think when we have a, the shift that I would say from an owner to a, an overseer is it takes off a big weight off of our shoulders because now we don't, we, don't, we don't own it. We say God owns it, right? God's in charge of all things. He's sovereign. So he owns our entire business. He owns everything. What we're doing is we're working the best that we can that day, understanding that tomorrow God could take it away. And when I work that way, it changes the whole perspective. I mean, even today when we talk about mergers and acquisitions and business owners selling uh, a business to build it to sell it, right? Uh, it's so funny. I, I've helped many business owners sell their business, uh, quite honestly, over the last 15 years or so. And what they do in the last year and a half or two years before they sell is uh, probably three times more work than they've done the previous you know, 15 or 20 or 30 years that they've owned the business. And I have to sit back and ask why. Why did they wait till they got ready to sell it in order to build their business that way? We should be building our business from day one and building our leadership, whatever it is that we're under our care, is if at any moment we can hand this project off and it's all taken care of. At any moment, we could sell our business. It's ready to be sold, right? Somebody could pick up the phone tomorrow and call me because I built it in such a way that I did everything that I could as if I wasn't going to be here tomorrow, right? Uh, the real glass aspect of that is I do see a serious weight lifted when I talk to business owners because one of the questions I ask them is I say, hey, do you own your business? And they'll say, yeah, of course I own my business, 100% owner. I said, well, I said, are you an owner of your business or are you a steward of your business? Are you an overseer of your business? And they'll say, no, well, I own it, but I'm, I try to steward it. And I say, no, you can't do both. The, re <laughs> the reality is either you're going to act like an owner and you get to make all the decisions and you have final authority, or you're going to act like a steward, which basically says at some point this is going to be taken away from me. And at the end of that time, I want to hear the words well done. They're to two totally separate and you can't do both. Great. Well, look, there are a couple uh, points that I took from that and I, I want to share with the audience as well. You know, when you talked about the uh, business owners, they spend the last uh, two or three years or months, whatever it is, spending more time working on it. It made me think of, you know, I, it, the audience knows that I'm a retired army officer and I've made a number of moves in my life. And I can remember every time I would get ready to move, I would, in the houses that I had purchased, I would just put all my energy right. into it, making it look good for the next person. And I finally, I don't think, I think I learned this halfway. And so I, it's you know, a little credit to me that I stopped doing that. I was like, you know what? I want to make this nice for me while I'm here. So that, that just is a parallel to, to the other, to what you were just saying. And the other thing is, you know, in my very first job as a, as an army Lieutenant, I'm in charge of a platoon and I, I, I know I'm going to have to go. It's just part of the culture. And it was hard. It was hard letting go. But I had the advantage, and this is one of the things why I constantly talk about what a great experience I had in the military is because I was, it was shaped that way. And, and, and like you say, you can't be the owner. You can't be the steward. Both the owner and the steward, you have to be one or the other, and you've got to choose. And, and that's why I feel so blessed and privileged that the, the Army had uh, – trained us that way and it, and it was still hard it was hard to be able to let go because those that was my team those were my people um any comments on that before we get into a little bit more about um what we're going to talk about next week well i think the military is a good example of that because they have to uh they, they're developing people to be replaceable so basically they're setting you up to either scale or if you move on to something else they have somebody else because the operation has to continue and so I think that mentality or that philosophy is a great understanding of us I want business owners we'll talk about next week 
um, business owners to build to the fourth generation. I want them to think of a hundred year model, right? And I think Jesus talks about this and there's lots of examples in this in the Bible. And yet so often we're too short-sighted. We're thinking about the moment versus the long-term. And, you know, I, I just say, and I say it in the book that um, business is too difficult. It's too challenging. Life is too hard for a leader to work all of their life and not to hear the words well done. And so I just want to inspire us. I want to challenge us to really get around saying, hey, I'm going to do the very best that I can today. And I'm going to work as hard as I can to honor God in everything that I do. I'm going to master these principles. I'm going to apply it. And, and I know when I do that, there's a level of satisfaction that even if I don't get what I, you know, I, even if I don't get accomplished where I'm at, I know I've moved the ball enough or I've been moving in that direction that I can hand it off and that somebody can take it even further or higher or more than I could have accomplished on my own. And I was a part of helping that to happen because I had that, that stewardship mentality, that well-done mentality. So I'm just, uh, I, I'm, I'm passionate about this concept of steward leadership. Uh, because I do think it shapes every one of the principles, and I really hope it shapes every one of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And me too. And, and I was a huge believer. Actually, not huge. I was. Uh, I'm a huge believer in servant leadership. But after having met you, this concept of steward leadership resonates. And as you said, we're going to talk about that in greater depth and detail next week. Uh, let me ask you this question, though. You know, in your book, there's this theme or thread that you're talking about as the you're working with your customers, you're building a relationship. So what advice would you share to the listeners about being a, um, at the, at the next level leader level and how you, your inter- your, whether it's with you're interacting with customers or your bosses and supervisors. And since you picked on the guys last time, direct it towards the, the ladies this time. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think businesses are, we forget sometimes that businesses are people. So whether we're dealing with another business, if it's a business to business or, or dealing with individual customers, there's a person behind it. There's a soul that's there. And one of the statements that I make is, you know, we need to understand that souls are the only thing that's going to get to heaven. If all the stuff that we own in our business, all the profits, all, the, all that stuff, the souls of the people that we interact with are the things that's going to go to heaven. Those are the treasures that could be potentially in heaven. So one of the things that I would, I encourage people to think about is, that every customer has a story. Every customer has a situation that's going on in their life. And just taking a little bit of time and effort to apply a golden rule principle or apply a people principle, uh, caring about somebody else or going a little bit further or thinking about it from a steward perspective. Am I handling this individual, this one customer in a stewardship way? Uh, or do I just kind of discount them? You know, when a next level leader has that, uh, it's, Profound. Now, I work with a lot of women CEOs, to be honest with you. We, we um, um, at CEO Experience are the only national uh, CEO re- uh, roundtable retreat organization that has a full CEO women's group. We have an entire women's team, CEO team that gets together. We'd love to have hundreds of those or multiples of those all in every city in America, but we have, uh, we have one. And I think women understand uh, the relational side of business a lot better. They, they seem, seem to care about their customers a lot more. They develop those personal relationships, even if it's a business-to-business uh, perspective. Um, so I, I would, you know, applaud women CEOs uh, on that. Although, uh, you know, again, it, leadership is sometimes tough. We don't always spend as much time on relationship because we're trying to produce results. What I remind every leader and every CEO and every next level leader is you're not going to get results without the relationship. 
So I think every one of these principles really tied to the key relationships that we need to, to build in our business, right? Uh, I, I can't get a profit for somebody, um, for example, for with purpose. If I don't care about that individual and they keep coming back to me, I have a retained customer. And I, I could go on down through the list of each one of the principles how it relates to people. I'm a people person. I believe in uh, that these are all related to, to, to people in many ways. And I talk about the importance of that in the in the business. So that relates for a woman CEO, relates to a next level uh, person. But we need to remember business is about people. Yeah, Ken, I, I'd like to think I'm a people person too, and, and I believe that I am, but uh, being around you, I'm learning it to be even better. You are. Uh, you are. You so are let's, look, uh, let's, let's jump into a little bit about what CEO experience is about. And if you would, tell us what are the, some of the types of treat, retreats that you offer for faith-based leaders, Christian CEOs, you name it. Right. So out of uh, the Dale Carnegie organization, uh, you know, Dale Carnegie believed in space learning, which was basically taking one of his people principles way back in the day and, and practicing it for a week and then coming back and getting it uh, another principle a week later. And so even today, the Dale Carnegie program is still that design. It's a 17 week program once a week. Well, we've taken that same model and we apply it in the different retreats that we have with business owners. And so I call them five different pathways or five different retreats, and there's different ways to pivot on it. But uh, CEOs can have a, a personal retreat, which is where they, they um, get the executive guide by themselves and they go through it so they can walk through the executive guide. I encourage them to get a loan. We do some uh, phone calls with them throughout the year and so on and so forth. That's a nice way. We have the... Um, uh, next level leader retreat, which is an onsite, which we talked about developing your team. We have the peer retreat that I just, I'm so excited about. And we actually bring in other uh, coaches and licensed individuals that are qualified in the field to lead it around the country. Uh, but those are retreats. They get together with their peers for once a month. They go through the executive guide, but we have a fun day. It's exciting and so on and so forth uh, in order to do that. Uh, we have a strategic retreat and that's a one-on-one -on -one, and with a, um, um, uh, where we call an executive coach works with the CEO. And then we have what we call a quarterly retreats. We call those excursions. Those are more for vision casting, thinking about business operations, business strategy, and also kingdom impact. Um, so these different types of retreats, I believe every leader needs a retreat. I, again, uh, came up with this model. We're looking at the model of Jesus. How did he spend time with people? And Jesus spent time alone. He also spent time one-on-one -on -one with these of his disciples. He spent time with his team. He also went into the synagogues and went into the, to the towns and had some debates with his peers. And, and then he would often take his disciples away, whether it was the Mount of Transfiguration or the Last Supper or the Garden. And he had these different moments where really those were vision casting types of moments. And so at CEO Experience, we follow that same model. You can find out more about our retreat if you go on. Uh, we have a website, uh, ceoexperience.com. But we have a website designed just for our retreats to tell you about the, the, the peer retreat is the one I encourage people to start with. And you can go to ceoretreatday.com. So www.ceoretreatday.com. All right. Well, look, thanks, Ken. That, that's fantastic information. I was going to ask you one more question, and that was, what is your vision for CEO experience and what has God called you to accomplish? But we're going to have to save that for our next show next week. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Thank listeners. You. Uh, have a great week and look forward to having you back again with us, Ken and I, next Monday. Thank you.
Thank you for tuning in this week to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. Be sure to join host Tom Crea for another edition next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a great week.